0: Our New Testament reading before the sermon comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Hear the word of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel And I will rejoice. And that is the Word of God. Let me start by saying that this text gave me fits for various reasons. On the one hand, because my own ministry, while difficult as ministry can be in its own way, is actually rather comfy and cozy compared to the ministry of Paul. On the other hand, it gave me fits because this minister, while happy to see other ministers and other ministries do so well, often feels envious and jealous of ministers that appear to be more successful and more fruitful when I know full well that we're doing the same things. We're preaching the same things. And so this text gave me fits for various reasons. But in God's providence, I was forced to take a hard look into the mirror of God's word. And I confess to you that I saw some ugly things that I need to repent of. I need to repent of these things. That is, if I want to rejoice in the Lord for the preaching of the gospel. And so I was reminded that in church life and in gospel ministry, According to the Apostle Paul, there is only one thing that matters. And so whether you are a pastor or an elder, whether you're a deacon or a lay person, I want you to see that while there are many important things in life, many important things in your congregational life, there is only one thing that matters. And with the help of God's Spirit, we will learn what that one thing is by the end of this sermon. Let us pray. Oh God, I do pray for your blessings upon the preaching and hearing of your word this morning. I pray that your spirit will open our hearts and open our eyes to see the glorious truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we'll be reoriented. That we will be put back on the proper course. That we may rejoice at the glorious and majestic work. Of your spirit and gospel, not only in this place, but in other corners of the world as well. All this we ask and pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. I want us to focus on two things in this text. The first, very simple, the first is the message, and then the second are the motives that Paul points to. Message and motives. As we make our way through this text, I'll try to highlight. Those two things for you. Brothers and sisters, Paul wants you to know that what has happened to him has really served to advance the gospel. As you saw last week, this refers to his imprisonment. His getting arrested and thrown in jail and moved from one place to another so that he is now under house arrest. He wants you to know that this did not deter The gospel at all in fact it served a purpose to progress the gospel to help the gospel advance now all of this seems counterintuitive to us I'm no church planter but I know enough church planters and I've read enough material about church planting and I've paid attention to church plant models enough to know that there is not a single church plant guru in the 21st century who would ever say to a church planter here's how you're going to plant this church move to a city, go to jail, and begin a prison ministry. And that's how you will plant the church. It's important for us to keep in mind that this was not the first time something like this happened in Paul's ministry. In fact, he is writing this letter to a church that was established in this very way. The church at Philippi was a church plant effort that started as a prison ministry, Remember back in the book of Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul had seen a vision of a man from Macedonia, and in the vision, the man from Macedonia said, come and help us. Paul concluded that the Spirit of Christ was moving him to Macedonia, so he went. Not long after he arrived in Philippi, which is in Macedonia, he met some women beside a river who were praying and They got into a conversation about Jesus and the gospel. And the Lord opened the heart of one of those women who was a businesswoman. And she believed the gospel and she was baptized along with her whole family. Not long after that, the Apostle Paul continued his public ministry. And because of some conflict and controversy in the public square, he was arrested and beaten and imprisoned along with his co-worker Silas. And in the story, Luke tells us that instead of cursing the darkness of the jail, these men praised the light of Jesus Christ. They spent the night singing and praying. And the prisoners around them were listening. And not the prisoners only, but also the jailers, the soldiers who were guarding the prison. They were listening to the prayers and the songs of these ministers. And we know this is the case because at one point in the middle of the night, one of those soldiers, a man who was wrecked with despair, a man who was crying out in desperation said, what must I do to be saved? And so it was after many twists and turns. And so it was after the work of providence was played out in Paul's life that Paul was able to do in Philippi in Macedonia, the very thing he intended to do in the first place. And that was help a man from Macedonia. That night, Paul proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ to this man, the man from Macedonia. Now think about what happened in that story. A man who is Wrecked with despair and crying out in desperation, he was at the point of taking his own life. What do you say to a man like that? What do you say to a man in that hour of the night? Well, Paul said to him, The one thing that matters believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, you and your household. And so at once the man was baptized along with his family. And although it is the middle of the night and darkness seemed to prevail. The light of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ shone in that man's heart. What do we learn in a story like that? We learn that the word of God is not chained. We learn that light shines in darkness but the darkness cannot overcome the light. Now, the point of all of that story is this. The church at Philippi heard about Paul's situation in Rome. And the church does not panic or despair over Paul's imprisonment because they knew that God is not above sending his missionaries and his ministers deep into enemy territory in order to advance the gospel and in order to rescue the perishing. The Lord knows those who are his and he will go to great lengths. Nothing is a limitation to the Lord. He will go to great lengths to make sure that his people hear the gospel of Christ and come to faith in Him, even if it means sending an apostle deep into a prison. God moves in mysterious way; His wonders to perform. So the gospel is making progress on God's terms and in God's time, and not ours. To tie all of this together, I want you to see that just as God used Paul's prison ministry at Philippi to reach a businesswoman and a soldier and their respective households with the gospel, so Paul is being used by God in his prison ministry at Rome to reach the imperial guards and even reach Caesar's household with the gospel. I don't want to steal... Your pastor's thunder, but that appears at the very end of Philippians as a surprise to everyone. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Here, Paul is a captive in a Roman prison, and yet he has a captive audience. And rather than spending his life and time complaining and grumbling and arguing about his situation, he recognizes that God has given him a captive audience. And so he begins to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the soldiers of the imperial guard. And he begins to share the gospel with servants who were members of Nero's household. And so here you are, watching Paul in the jaws of the dragon, preaching the gospel of Christ, and those around him are hearing and believing and confessing The story of Jesus Christ. They believed that Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross for their sins. And buried for three days. And raised from the dead for their life. And they confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and Savior. In other words, like you, they have come to realize that there is one thing that matters. One thing that matters. So what happens on a small scale at Philippi is now happening on a large scale at Rome. And I want you to know that this is not unique to the first century or to Paul's ministry. Throughout the course of Christian history, this kind of thing has happened at many times and in many ways and in various places. And it's happened so often, so consistently and frequently, that the gospel has spread around the world. It has advanced across space and time from then to now. The gospel has moved outward and forward even to reach us and others around us and others around the world. And so you see that the more things change, the more things remain the same. I want to bring something close, bring this closer to home for you um, By show of hands or by nodding your head, are any of you familiar with our sister Presbyterian churches in western China? Are you familiar with what's going on in western China? Good. For those who are familiar, you'll know what I'm talking about. And those who aren't, you'll you'll hear some amazing things in the next couple of minutes. Over the past couple of months, churches in western China have been persecuted by the Chinese government. And we know this because there are reports made available uh, through websites and Facebook. Uh, Recently at a presbytery meeting, some uh, member of that presbytery from China spoke to us and was very moving to hear his testimony. What's happening is that church pastors and members are being harassed and interrogated, threatened and imprisoned. Husbands and wives are being torn apart from each other. Children and parents are being separated from each other. Church buildings and meeting locations are being vandalized and desecrated, even demolished. Pastors and parishioners are persevering and pressing on. And as you read the reports wondering, how could they continue gathering? How could they press forward with the gospel? How could they continue meeting as the church of the Lord Jesus? You learn it's because they say in their own reports that they have learned to cling to the only thing that matters. In other words, this has been clarifying for them. It it really narrows down what matters most. One report tells how members of uh, these communities prepare for worship. And this is from a report by one of the parishioners who says, I'm going to pack socks and underwear, put on warm shoes, put on my down coat, delete everything from my phone, turn it off, and then go to the Lord's Day worship. I will bring a printed Bible and take notes by hand. These are the worst of times, Lord, and they are the best of times. The only question left is, should I prepare dress clothes or jail clothes? Another report tells what God is doing behind prison walls. And this is from a church member who spent 10 days in a detention center. And I'll summarize what he says. But he says, I just returned home with my wife who came to the police station to support me. And he describes the detention center in this way. It's like a monastery in there. He talks about the different people he met. A Tibetan man who really wanted to, wanted to hear preaching. Who wants to join a small group and become a Christian. There was also a master's degree student who has been quite miserable since entering the detention center. He wants to buy a Bible. This man says, but I offered to give him one. He wants to attend a small group Bible study. Then he talks about another man who fell into trouble and his marriage fell apart. And he says, I'm preparing to give him one of our church's thumb drives so that he can listen to preaching. It's like a monastery in there. God is working. God is moving in mysterious ways. And then finally, last example I will give from this group was from a recent interview with China Partnership where a church leader says, we grow exponentially every time we are rated. Recently, I had conversations with a couple of pastors who were lamenting the condition of the church in the Bible Belt. Men who have been in ministry a long time, lamenting the fact that it seems that in the Bible Belt, where the church should be the strongest in the United States, many professing Christians have become fragile And frail, not able to withstand even the slightest pressure or criticism. And yet, meanwhile, around the world, this is what's happening with our brothers and sisters. We make every effort to make things as comfortable and accommodating as possible. We remove obstacles and barriers, we lower expectations, we provide services that we imagine people need or want. We're far more user friendly than we dare admit. And when I say we, I mean all of us, right? All of us in the Bible Belt. What we experience here stands in stark contrast to what I just told you about our brothers and sisters in China. What are we doing? We're trying to create the right conditions and the right circumstances for people to experience the gospel. Because somewhere along the, along the way, we convinced ourselves that this is what will make the church grow. And yet, despite all of our desire and efforts, as well-meaning as that is, what do we see happening around us? The tide is turning against us, isn't it? Even here in the belt buckle of the Bible belt, in DFW, what's happening? What's happening is that many People have shifted their focus from the only thing that matters to things that don't matter at all. And they've done it in the name of Christ. Dr. Sinclair Ferguson offers this corrective wisdom. It's not so much the location and the circumstances of ease that are the chosen places for God to use you for his glory. He is able to take you into the most disadvantageous circumstances and use you far more there than he might have used you had you been in advantageous ones. In other words, it's not about the circumstances. It's not about the conditions around you. It's all about Christ. Christ. As Paul and the Philippian church could testify in the first century, as the early reign covenant church can testify in the 21st century, there is only one thing that matters. And it's not creature comforts. It's not cultural relevance. It's not contemporary music. It's not customer satisfaction. The only thing that matters is Christ. Christ proclaimed in the church Christ preached in the prison. Christ promoted in the marketplace. Now Paul knew that some of the brothers who were confident in the Lord by his own imprisonment. And who were much more bold to speak the word of Christ without fear since he was in prison. He knew that some of those were actually preaching the good news with bad motives. It's hard for me to get my heart and mind around that. And yet Paul didn't seem troubled by it at all. He condoned the message proclaimed by those preachers that he knew. They were preaching the same gospel that he preached, and he rejoiced in that. But on the other hand, he condemned their sinful motives. Sinful motives of men who were preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, selfish ambition and malice. But think about the tension there. Think about the hypocrisy of what's going on. They're preaching Christ, but only to make a name for themselves. They're preaching Christ, but perhaps only to build their congregational empire. They're preaching Christ, but only to get attention and accolades. They're preaching Christ, but only for their own fame and glory. They're preaching Christ, perhaps only for financial gain. And Paul says, yeah, but they're preaching Christ. And that's the only thing that matters. Now, I don't know about you, but again, I want to confess to you that I'm not quite ready for that. I'm not quite mature enough to embrace Paul's enthusiasm for pastors who preach the good news of Christ with the bad motives of criminals and crooks. And yet Paul was okay with it because he saw that in the grand scheme of things, the only thing that mattered was that Christ was being proclaimed. Proclaimed. And we'll get to that in just a moment of why that is the case. I've seen this sort of thing play out in my ministry for a couple of decades. I see it at the minister alliance luncheons that I attend monthly in my city. I see it at conferences and retreats. It even happens sometimes in presbytery. Pastors like to size each other up. They like to compare each other with each other? How big is your church? What is your budget? How many members do you have? How many communicant members do you have? How many children? How many elderly? How many staff? On and on it goes. Now, there's nothing wrong with those kinds of questions per se. Some of you might even want to ask me about my church at some point, and now you'll say, I don't know if I should after what he just said, but... (laughs) there's nothing wrong with the questions per se, but there is something wrong when the questions are asked out of these motives of envy and rivalry, selfish ambition. In his book, Steering Through Chaos, Os Guinness describes envy and rivalry and how they work together. It describes envy and rivalry like this. He says, Envy is sorrow at another's good. Envy enters when... Seeing someone's happiness or success, we first compare and find ourselves or our condition lacking. And then, out of the hurt of our wounded self-esteem, we seek to bring the other person down to our level by word or deed. In short, envy moves from dejection to disparagement to destruction." Sadly, the preachers that Paul had in mind were doing this very kind of thing. They compared and contrasted themselves with Paul. They turned gospel ministry into a competition. Just thinking about the ugliness of pastoral envy and rivalry is enough to make my skin crawl, to make my blood boil, to make my stomach hurt. And then Paul says, Yeah, but I'm truly convinced that in the Grams." grand scheme of things the only thing that matters is that they're preaching Christ and that's what he says in verse 18 he says so what right so what the only thing that matters is that in every way whether in pretense or in truth Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice And it almost seems that he knew that some of us would say, really, do you rejoice? And he said, yes, and I will rejoice. I'm rejoicing now, and I will will rejoice then. Why? Because Christ is being preached. And though it's not ideal, no matter what their motives were, no matter uh, what their motives were in driving them to preach, so long as they were preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul was happy. Paul was happy and he rejoiced in the ministry of those who proclaimed Christ. Now I want to make a quick note here and say that Paul is not condoning just any and every kind of preaching. Paul was not saying in the first century, what I saw several years ago, posted in a cafe, go to the church of your choice this Sunday. Paul wasn't saying that everything's equal and it's all good, just whatever, so long as someone is preaching at you. No, he was concerned about the preaching of the gospel. He was concerned about the right preaching of the gospel. And so bear in mind that, if you want to make sense of this a little bit, bear in mind that the grace which is exhibited in or by the word of God rightly proclaimed is not conferred by any power in the preaching or in the preacher. Neither does the efficacy of gospel preaching depend upon the piety or the integrity of him that preaches it, but only upon the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I borrowed language from our confession that deals with the use of sacraments, but I want to use that by way of analogy to say the gospel is not made true or false by the one who preaches, nor is it made powerful and effectual by any pastor what Paul is getting at in very simple terms is that God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. That God speaks to us through cracked pots. If you don't believe me, go back to what he and see what he said about the glorious light of Christ shining through ordinary jars of clay. Well, as a pastor, I'm comforted to know that the salvation of souls does not depend upon my skill. Or ability, nor upon my desire or effort, nor upon my piety or integrity. And while I'm not happy to say this, I will say that, like you, I am a sinner in need of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's an immeasurable privilege to be one among many who gets to preach Christ to you, and not preach myself, but to say, hey, We found the Savior. We found the Lord. Let's all go to him together. It's a comfort to know that the salvation of our souls depends upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. Made effectual by the spirit of Christ alone. Well today we have seen that only one thing matters. And by now I hope you know that the one thing that matters is Christ. And not simply Christ as an abstract idea, but Christ proclaimed, Christ preached to the world and to the church. But what does it mean to proclaim Christ? It would be terrible to preach a whole sermon about how one thing matters and then I even tell you what the one thing is, wouldn't it? Here's the only thing that matters is Christ preached and proclaimed. What does that mean? What does it mean to proclaim Christ? Well, it means this, It means to preach the person and work of Jesus Christ. Know that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like you and like me. Know that Jesus Christ came into the world to lay down His life for His people. And know that Jesus Christ gave Himself at the cross Where he was crucified for the sins of the world. And the wrath of God was poured out upon him. That he might endure the penalty and punishment of our sins. And know that Christ was buried as a dead man for three days. He rested from his redemptive work. And on the third day. The spirit of God raised him from the dead. For our life. For our life. And 40 days after that, he ascended to the right hand of God where he is seated in session, reigning and ruling over the world, over the affairs of men, for the glory of God and for the good of his church. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't just that. It is good news and not good advice, but as a part of the good news, How shall we live? How shall we respond? It's not enough to know the facts of the gospel. We are called by God to respond to the message of the gospel in this way. Yes, Christ came into the world to save sinners. But sinners are called by the gospel to repent of their sins, to turn away from themselves and turn towards Jesus Christ. And not just turn to gaze upon his glory, but to trust in the one to whom they have turned. To put their trust in Christ and in Christ alone. And everyone who turns from their sins and trusts in Christ shall be saved. As Paul said to that jailer in Philippi. If you want to know what you must do to be saved. This is it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Salvation is not by works. But by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And wherever the gospel is preached in that way, and that message is delivered to sinners, men like Paul rejoice. And I too shall rejoice. And we shall rejoice together as we gaze upon the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only thing that matters. A lot of things are important, but this is the thing that matters most. Let us pray together.